morning, we get to hear from one of my uh, person I admire as much as anybody um, that I know, uh, Ash- Ashley Ross. Ashley uh, and I got to work together for a number of years. Um, there's so much to say, but uh, I will just say this about Ashley. Um, uh, she's, uh, she is a um, chaplain for the Air Force, so you can't mess with her, right? She has uh, got a, uh, her um, a theology degree from uh, Gordon Conwell, uh, and she opened up a turning point, um, the women's ministry, as I mentioned before, for city team in Oakland. Even the mayor, Libby Schaff, came out. Uh, and so she, she, has, she has some pull. And, um, but when you work with Ashley, her, um, uh, her, who she is and her faith, her intimate walk with God leads every part of her life. And I say that from, again, being kind of elbow to elbow with her for years. And it is so greatly encouraging. And so, Ashley, as you come up and share this morning uh, with us, um, uh, we share from that, uh, from that place of uh, from goodness. Come on, come, come share with us. I, yeah. Thank you, Eric. Oh, oh, your her her mom and aunt are here too, <laughs> all the way from North Carolina. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Um, good morning, beautiful people. Um, all right. So before I say anything else. I want to start by saying how much of an honor it is to be here in front of all of you. Um, thank you for your support, uh, for everything that you guys do for City Team as an organization, especially for the Women's Turning Point program. So today I wanted to speak to you about callings and the journey that we take to get there. Uh, this time last month, I thought the reason I was leaving um, Oakland and ending my journey here uh, was because I was getting deployed to Qatar with the military. And it lined up with the word that God spoke to me back in 2019 when he told me that my time here would be done in about three years. Um, soon after, my supervisor for the military told me that our unit was up for deployment. It made sense to me because God told me that I would be leaving the Bay in three years and the timeline added up. But fast forward to October 2021, when I fractured my big toe trying to move what I thought would be a light box. Um, So after an initial misread on an x-ray and then a second opinion, it turns out that not only was the toe fractured, but that the uh, pain I was getting was coming from a chipped bone that was poking into the joint every time I took a step. So after an additional month of waiting, I had to have surgery. So up until earlier last month, I stood on what I had pieced together from what God had told me my next steps would be. But reality set in, and just a couple of weeks ago, my supervisor for the military confirmed that he was removing me from my deployment. Um, So I say all of this to say to you that when God initially put this message about journeys on my heart, I thought it was for someone here at Christian Layman, and I didn't realize that the next leg of my own personal journey would be into the unknown as well. So as I began asking God for a word, he kept reminding me of the journey of the Israelites. And as I studied it, I felt the Lord was revealing to me Exodus 14, 19. 
So if you are willing and able, could you please stand and turn to Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, while we read the word. All right, today I will be reading from the ESV version. And it reads as follows. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning thanking you for another day and asking for your guidance as I share this word. Father, I ask that as you use me to share this message with your children, that you open up their ears to hear whatever it is that you want for them to hear, and that whatever is not in line with your word, I pray it falls on deaf ears. God, I ask for you to open up our eyes so that we can see what it is that you're wanting for us to see. And open up all of our hearts so that we may receive whatever it is that you have for us to receive in our time together. Lord, I pray that this is an opportunity for all of us to be used by you and for our hearts to be transformed by whatever it is you're wanting to do in us and through us. Jesus, it is in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, um, to get us to this part in the journey, I want to start by taking a few steps back. So bear with me as I bring us to the point of Exodus 14, verse 19. At this point, the Israelites had been in Egypt for over 400 years. How they got there was due to Jacob's, a.k.a. Israel's son, Joseph, who had a dream about his brothers bowing to him as if he were the queen of England, and somehow thinking it was a good idea to share this dream with said brothers. Needless to say, the brothers did not take too kindly to the dream and decided that the best way to teach Joseph a lesson was to get rid of him. So they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to some passerbys and told their dear father Jacob that he had died. So here we are. Joseph, sold into slavery, finds favor in his master's eyes, climbs the ranks only to be imprisoned based off the lies of his master's lust-filled wife, forgotten about and then remembered again. Because not only did he have the gift of prophetic dreams, he also had the ability to interpret them as well. So when he was once again remembered and had the opportunity to interpret the dreams of the Pharaoh of Egypt, he did. And not only managed to sustain Egypt as the most powerful nation during the time, it allowed Joseph to become the second most powerful person in all the land causing his brothers to have to bow to him when they came to Egypt to ask for food, just like in the dream he had years before. Instead of holding a grudge, Joseph was merciful and forgave his brothers and encouraged his entire family, including his father Jacob, to leave their town and come to Egypt and share in his wealth and blessings. And so they did. And Egypt remembered what Joseph had done for them. And Pharaoh, after Pharaoh, after Pharaoh, made sure that the descendants of Israel were taken care of. Until one day they forgot. Long after Jacob, Joseph, and the rest of his sons had passed on, 
there was a new Pharaoh who came in and saw the vast amount of the descendants of Israel and everything they had gained and let fear consume them. He chose to enslave them, and over time with oppression, he abused them, killed them, and instilled fear in their hearts. But one day his own daughter found a cute little Jewish boy floating down the river and decided that she was going to raise him as her own. That baby boy was Moses, who although was raised as an Egyptian, knew his heritage was the same as those being oppressed. And because of that, even before he was officially called, he stood up for his people. One day, Moses witnessed a man hurting, as an Israelite, hurting an Israelite and decided to take matters into his own hands. Because anger management classes were not yet a thing, he ended up killing the guy. And then being called out on it by some people. So, in fear, he ran. But in his hiding, he had an encounter with God that led him to the leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the journey of their promised land. But Pharaoh did not want to let them go easily. So after going back and forth with the Pharaoh and his hard heart, Moses kept trying to convince him to let my people go. Well, after eight plagues of insects, blood, boils, crop damage, and dead amphibians, God turned up the heat on the last two plagues, causing darkness throughout the land and the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt before Pharaoh finally kept his word to let the people of Israel go. But even then, he still refused to truly let them go without a fight. Instead, Pharaoh chose to pursue the people of Israel, which brings us to the Exodus fourteen nineteen verse. At this point, all of Israelites were packed up and heading out. God had given them instruction and even changed the hearts of some of the Egyptian neighbors to show them favor and give them massive amounts of silver and gold for their journey. As they headed out, they could see in the horizon the soldiers of Pharaoh pursuing, pursuing them. To which Moses assures them not to be afraid because the Lord will deliver them and that the Lord would fight for them. To which the Lord replied to them, do not cry out to me, tell the people to keep moving forward. And then he told them to part the sea. He then told Moses that this too would be an opportunity to gain glory and for the Israelites to recognize that he truly is God. So after the water from the sea washed out the Egyptians that were in pursuit the angel of God went from the front of the people of Israel to the back, separating them from the Egyptians even more and showing that he was still with them and protecting them, whether he was leading them from the front or shielding them from the back. And now I know all that of that was a lot, but I think it is important to share the backstory um, for this of Exodus fourteen nineteen for, for Exodus fourteen nineteen to make sense. You see, this was a pivotal moment in their journey. This was the first big step towards hope, surrender, and transition towards the promised land. The part in the backstory that I skipped over is how many times up until this point, the people of Israel were on the side of their oppressors. Up until this point, they were telling Moses to leave them alone. He was making things hard for them, and they didn't really want anything to do with whatever God had for them in their future. The conditions of abuse, Trauma, death, oppression, and fear hindered them from trusting in the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Joseph the dreamer who allowed them to thrive in that land for so long. 
You see, not only did the new Pharaoh not recognize or remember the value of the people of Israel, who Israel's God was, or how their God used one of his children to interpret a dream that allowed him to be seated as Pharaoh. It seems as though the Israelites had forgotten as well. Instead of remembering that their God was their protector, their guide, their shield, and their provider, they were consumed in their everyday life. They could not see beyond the hurt and pain of what they were going through. The Israelites were looking at things through the lens of someone who had actively and was actively being oppressed, abused, hopeless, fearful, and all the other traits that come with a slave mentality or the fear of the unknown. They were so blinded by what was in front of them that I believe part of the reason that God had to harden the Pharaoh's heart to the extreme that he did was to get the people to trust in him enough to take those first steps. Once they trusted him enough for that, he was able to send his angel to move behind them, in front of them, and all around them. He was able to show them that he could protect them in more ways than they thought possible. But first, they needed to move. When I took a step back and noticed the similarities between the journey of the Israelites and the ladies of our programs, I was able to get a better understanding of the women fleeing domestic violence and trafficking and how so many of them don't want to leave that life. Or they were afraid that the unknown could be worse than what they were currently battling. I looked at it from the perspective of the men and women who are enslaved to their flesh to the extent of addiction. I looked at it through the lens of the women with children who never pictured themselves in a situation such as homelessness. And it made the journey of the Israelites even clearer for me. You see, over the years of working with the men and women and hearing their stories of childhood traumas, rape, addiction, homelessness, extreme poverty, and abuse, I finally began to get a better understanding of how much distress, trauma, and fear can hinder us in taking that initial step. The amount of hope and strength it must take to make it, and how difficult it is to stay on that path when one is going through or facing so much. For many of City Team programs, we have uh, phases that our clients go through. Each phase's name is based on the different parts of the journey a client would encounter while in the program. The other day, I had an aha moment as it occurred to me that the phases the clients go through are similar to the phases that we go through when we begin a new journey. Similar to the phases that the Israelites endured to get to the promised land. There is hope, surrender, and transition. Hope and faith make up the initial stage of a journey. When the people of Israel were being held in captivity, they were hopeless, they lacked faith, and they forgot the promises of God and could not see past the situation at hand. They were consumed by their circumstances. Again, God used Moses and Aaron to, uh, for 10 plagues in order to remind his people who he was before they finally started having the hope and faith they needed to take those initial steps. With the minimum in our programs, God uses their circumstances and others to get them to that space of hope and faith as well. People like to say that the first step is the hardest. 
But from what I've learned from some of our men and women on our programs is that the pull back, the pull to go back to what they came from can be just as hard due to how constant it is. And it is when the pulling starts, one must begin to let go. That's how we get to the surrendering stage. The surrendering stage for the people of Israel happened once they were headed to the promised land. This was mainly found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy where God was trying to prune them from their old mindsets and prepare them for what was ahead. This is the phase where they were to surrender their will and ways to God to be transformed and prepared for what was ahead. This was the phase where learning, healing, and adapting were to occur. This is also the phase where many of the Israelites were left behind. They chose the mindset of fear and oppression over faith. And in turn, were left in the wilderness never to make it into that promised land. Like the people of Israel, this is the phase where our clients began to romanticize the slavery and darkness from behind. This is the phase in which their abuser or their pimp or drugs don't seem as bad. This is the phase in which our clients must learn to trust God through the process. This is the phase that turns what was supposed to take 40 days into 40 years. And sadly, like some of the people of Israel, this may be the phase which they get so caught up that they may never see what God truly has for them. On the flip side of that, this is the phase that the staff, our interns, our volunteers, and even some of the residents are the most crucial for a client. Because this is the phase in which clients need the most support to help get them to the other side of the promises God has for them. This is the phase before they get to the point of transition, the phase that prepares them for what is to come. The final phase, the phase of transition is where the victory is already won. This is the phase in which if one listens to God's instructions about next steps, things work out. We see this in the book of Joshua throughout the tribes who didn't fully do what God told them to do. The tribes that didn't, that did not eliminate all who God had told them to eliminate the tribes who decided not to enter the promised land, but instead chose to stay right there on the edge. This is the phase where, um, our testimonies come from where I get to tell you about our lady who was homeless for five years and came to us and now has housing or about our mother who was Muslim, got saved and baptized with us, and now um, not only has a house for her and her three children, but now she has a relationship with Christ as well. This is the phase where we can tell you of the women and men who are living sober with great jobs and their lives are changed. But this is also can be the phase in which they do not receive all that God had for them, because they didn't completely surrender in the prior phase. I want to be clear about something. In order to get to the phase of transition, it takes a lot of trust, hope, faith, and surrender. Getting to this phase is simple, but not easy. To get here, it is important to see that God used people to help them along the way. And he still does today. 
And the story of the Israelites' journey to the promised land during the phase of surrender, we see five key players. Moses, the elders, the Levites, Joshua, and the people of Israel. Those same five players are present in the lives of the people in our programs as well. The people of Israel represent the men and women in our programs. Moses represents the staff, those called to look over and take care of clients, show them grace and mercy, and help oversee their journey. The Levites represent those who are pouring into them spiritually. Their church, volunteers who are spiritual mentors or who lead Bible studies, and those who pray and intercede on their behalves. The elders represent their wise counsel, those who help hold them accountable and keep them on track. Their case managers, friends, volunteers who mentor or tutor them, and those who they can turn to for better understanding. Joshua represents their peers and the people in their lives that provide hope. Joshua represents the volunteers who come and tutor the children or cook dinner, the peers who are in the wilderness with them, but instead of hopelessness, keep pointing them towards the promises God has for them. And the volunteer who just comes to sit with the ladies and fellowship with them or teach a class. Essentially, Joshua represents the ones who speak life in the midst of dark situations. When all those people work together in the lives of one of our residents, they point them towards the promises that God has for them and into the promised land towards transition. And when you have these key players in your own life, it can do the same. All these players should exist in our personal lives as well. And I encourage each of you to take the time to figure out who you have in each of those spaces in your own life. And if you don't have anyone, just to pray to God to bring those people into those spaces. I know I've shared all of this um, as a comparison between the Israelites and the men and women of our programs, but it applies to all of us as well. Everyone is at different places in their own journeys, and maybe you may be at the part where you're just beginning one. But the difference between the people of Israel and all of us is that we are fortunate enough to be able to learn from the mistakes of the people from Israel about how to wander well. From them, we see what hope, surrender, and transition can look like at its best and worst. So wherever you are in your own journey, I pray that you can learn to trust God, have hope, and let him guide you. From Exodus 14, verses 13 through 20, we can see the great lengths that God goes through to fight for and protect his people. There is a part that we play in our own personal journeys. And as he states in verse 14, when he tells the people to keep moving. But the part that we play is in line with what he is calling and guiding us to do. Hard work and good work is not always God's work for you in your particular season. The people of Israel spent a lot of time in the wilderness making things harder for themselves because they trusted in their own understanding and strength for the freedom more than God. The same way they forgot who their savior was during their season of oppression, they forgot who their provider was during their season of surrender. But it is not always bad things that keep us stuck in the season of surrender. Sometimes we get stuck in the season doing good things that are not what God has called us to do. We see this time and time again throughout scripture. 
Martha in the New Testament is a great example of someone who is doing something that is good, but that there is something better that Jesus wanted her to be doing at that time. So just as we should use the season of surrender for a time of pruning and growing, we should be seeking God to guide us in what work he is calling us to do. As I close, I leave you with this. We are all on our individual journeys. There are parts that come together and make sense and parts that don't. What I want to add to that is until we make it to heaven, we will always be in some phase in our journeys. Those phases may cause us to start something new, require additional pruning, use what we have been learning to move forward, or even throw us a curveball. I don't know what God has in store for me in this upcoming season, but I know he called me to move forward. I could easily just stay in Oakland and work for City Team. I love what I do, and God has shown up and covered me so much while I have been here. But I know that by doing that, I would be just like the tribes of Reuben and Gad. It's hard and it's scary to take that first step again, but by choosing the path of the unknown, trusting that it will lead to the fullness of what God has in store for me. And I pray that same thing for each of you. Wherever you are in your journey, whether you're trusting in God like me, as you stand on hope and faith to have enough courage to take the first step, whether it's into a new career, into marriage, retirement, a change in major, or whatever it is that God has been placing on your heart to do, or if you already have taken that step, and you're wanting to turn back due to fear, finances, people telling you you're not good enough or that it doesn't make sense, or anything else making you come, making where you came from look a lot better than where it is you're going and a lot easier. Or maybe you're in a place where you're preparing to use what you've learned in your season of surrender to transition into your promise. Regardless of where you are in your journey, remember Exodus 14, verse 19. Remember that just as God guides you from the front, he can guard you from the back and protect you throughout your entire journey if you just remember to take the step and trust him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for guiding them and protecting them on their individual as well as their collective journeys. Father, I ask that as you begin to put a stirring in their hearts and minds, I pray that you are watching over and covering every family and every person represented here. I don't know what you have in this next season for them, but I pray that they can trust you in it. I pray that you speak to their hearts and souls, give them the courage and hope to step out in faith and surround them with the men and women in their lives to help them make it on their journey. God, I pray the Joshua's, Moses's, priests, and wise counsel that you put in their own personal lives are able to hear from you and help guide and direct your sons and daughters in the way they should go. And I pray that when anyone here loses hope or fear begins to take over, that they remember your words. They lean into you and trust that your plans for them are prospering and not for harm. Jesus, it is in your precious and holy name I pray. Amen.
Amen.